Big deals make a return to the local share market. Prime Minister Scott Morrison says there's a long-term future for coal. And cruising is back with vessels allowed to return to Australian ports. It's Wednesday the 16th of March 2022. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. I like the way you say Australia's most popular business podcast. It just sounds nice, doesn't it? Something to be proud of. It's also true. I mean, it's not just its not just something that sounds nice. It is factually accurate. Yeah. And Sean, you know the surefire way of knowing that people are enjoying the podcast? It's when they start to tell us things they do not like. And we've fired a couple of people up in recent days with financial planners on Monday's show and yesterday's show. We've had a little bit to say about politics and the fear and greed inbox was full overnight. I can tell you that much. What did they say? Why don't would let me know? I will tell you in a little bit. How about that for oh, a Ford teasing. promote? You'll have to stick around for that. But Fair enough. a few people had a, had a little bit to say. We'll get to that in a little bit. Immediately after the show as well, stay listening for Sean's chat to Daniel Fogo, the CEO of Plenty, which is Australia's largest fintech lender. Really interesting chat, that one. But first, Sean, it's been a little quiet, wouldn't you say, on the M&A front. There was, though, a big deal in the offing yesterday. Yes, there's a couple, in fact. New Zealand-based infrastructure investor HRL Morrison wants to buy telecommunications services and fibre owner Unity Group. Now, Unity share price jumped 27% yesterday, which takes it back to where it was at the beginning of last month. The bid's worth about $3 billion. It's pretty good in anyone's language. Unity's profitability last half year was about six times what it was a year earlier. It's done really well, this group. It primarily operates as a wholesale business, laying down fibre cables to new greenfield housing developments and residential estates. And obviously, the infrastructure investor, HRL Morrison, likes the idea of buying it. 27% in one session, not bad. Not bad at all. And Sean, in the last week or so, you were talking about Rio Tinto's project in Mongolia, the OU Tolgoi copper mine. Now Rio has bid $3.7 billion for its partner in the project, Turquoise Hill. Yes, so Rio wants to buy the 49% of Toronto-listed Turquoise Hill that it doesn't already own. If successful, Rio would end up owning two-thirds of the Mongolian copper mine. That's the Outolgoi mine. It's one of the five biggest in the world. The other third would be owned by the Mongolian government. The offer comes two months after Rio and the Mongolian government agreed to complete the delayed underground development in the Gobi Desert at a cost of more than $6 billion. So a couple of really big deals in the last 24 hours. It's been a good 24 hours, but last year was, it just seemed like a deal bonanza, a deal fest, I think we called it. The whole M&A space just seems a bit quieter though at the moment. Definitely. I agree, Michael. Uncertainty ain't good for deals. And given the outlook for interest rates and the war in Ukraine, certainly what the Federal Reserve's talking about, there's plenty of uncertainty in markets at the moment. It's also harder just to go out and raise money and share markets have sold off also, so plenty of boards think their companies are already undervalued. So whilst there's money sloshing around in the big pension funds, the superannuation funds, investment funds, people are just a little gun-shy of spending it at the moment. I think that will emerge, though, over the next two or three months. In the second half of the year, I dare say there'll be plenty of deals still. Now, you mentioned a couple of the big deals there. How did the local market do yesterday? Well, the S&P ASX 200 finished down 0.7% to just under 7,100 points with the miners leading the way lower. There are some big falls in that sector. 
Gold digger Chalice Mining was off more than 10%. Iron Ore Group Champion Iron fell more than 9% and Linus Rare Earths was off 8%. Iron ore prices fell sharply yesterday, so that's why the iron ore miners were sold off. Fortescue was down 5%, while BHP and Rio Tinto were both off 4%. In fact, there was plenty of red ink in the market yesterday, but not from the big four commercial banks. We talked about that 24 hours ago. They're doing really well at the moment, and all rose yesterday, led by Commonwealth Bank, which was up 1.75%. Now, the yield on Australian 10-year bonds rose above 2.5% yesterday for the first time since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that's because markets are betting that the Reserve Bank of Australia will start lifting interest rates in the second half of this year, just like their overseas counterparts. Commodity prices haven't exactly tumbled, but they are just a bit lower than the past couple of weeks. Brent crude is trading above $100 US a barrel, but only just. Gold is back down to $1,900 US an ounce, and gas prices are also lower. Michael, the Aussie dollar has fallen back too. It's trading below 72 US cents. All right, we'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, there was a very important decision yesterday in the federal court. The full bench found that the federal environment minister does not have a duty of care to young Australians to consider climate change harm when exercising their power to approve coal mines. Yes, this was a big one. Now, remember last year in a landmark decision, the court found that Environment Minister Susan Lay had a duty to take reasonable care to avoid causing harm to children from carbon emissions when considering an application from Whitehaven Coal to approve its Vickery mine expansion in New South Wales. The case was brought by a group of teenagers and is just one part of a wave of climate change litigation in the courts at the moment. But yesterday, the full bench found that the court should not determine matters of high public policy, as imposing the duty of care would have been. Essentially, Chief Justice James Alsop said it wasn't a legal question, but a question for a responsible democratic government. The students said they'd keep fighting, but it definitely frees up government to make policy decisions. And all this, Sean, came after the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, made it pretty clear that coal-fired power stations aren't going anywhere in the short term. Yes, he said fossil fuel industries will be around for decades and demand for coal will actually keep increasing until at least 2030. He said it was necessary to run the stations currently operating for as long as possible as part of the transition to renewables continues. His point is that you just can't turn off coal-fired power stations because then there wouldn't be enough energy to run the economy. And we're talking electricity in someone's home or in businesses. The opposite side of the argument is that the government just hasn't done anywhere near enough to speed up the shift to renewables. All in all, what Scott Morrison said yesterday, and it's true, coal-fired power stations really are going to be part of the national electricity grid for a couple of decades yet. Now, the Reserve Bank, Sean, has warned that the invasion of Ukraine by Russia could result in lower economic growth and higher inflation. Yes, the comments were made in the minutes of the latest Reserve Bank board meeting two weeks ago, which were released yesterday. Back then, most of the commentary from the central bank was around uncertainty, but it looks like the board had quite a discussion about the scale and duration of the conflict and the nature of second round effects on the local economy. The board discussed supply chains being strained ahead of the conflict and that rising energy prices, particularly in Europe, would hit growth. Sean, the the war is now three weeks old and Russia certainly hasn't had the quick success it wanted or the quick success that 
I think it was probably expecting, the longer the war goes on now, the greater the human tragedy and also then the flow-on effects for the rest of the world. Yes, Michael. And I think for most of us, that will end up coming back to petrol prices, which we all understand right now, but also higher food prices. Many food prices were already rising because of weather conditions and supply chain disruptions even before the invasion. For example, over the past year, coffee prices are up nearly 70%, notwithstanding they've come off a bit in recent days. Wheat prices, though, is one food type that has gone through the roof as a result of the war. Over the past year, though, wheat prices are up 70%. Cheese prices are up around 26%. Milk's up around 37%. The list goes on. Orange juice and rice are both 20% higher than a year ago. Corn's up more than 30%. And sugar is almost 20% higher. Put all that together, along with higher petrol prices and an increasing cost of shelter, so the booming housing market makes it much tougher for people to get into housing. The cost of living in Australia is definitely on the rise and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. No, it wouldn't appear so. I mentioned then, Sean, the expectations of Russia that they had when they went into this conflict. And now a senior Russian ally of Vladimir Putin has actually conceded that the war hasn't gone as quickly as the Kremlin had wanted. Yes, it was quite a concession from the chief of Russia's National Guard, Viktor Zolotov. He's also a member of the country's Security Council, close to Vladimir Putin. He blamed what he called far-right Ukrainian forces hiding behind civilians. Just the fact that he said it is significant. Meanwhile, US President Joe Biden is likely to travel to Europe in coming weeks to discuss the war with allies. All right, some brighter news now, Sean, and it's good news in particular for anyone who likes cruises because the ban on international cruise ships will be lifted next month. That is two years after being imposed. Yes, very exciting for people who like cruises. Have you ever been on a cruise, Michael? I have never been on a cruise. I don't have anything particularly against them at all. I just haven't done it. Have you? No, never. I like the idea of going and sitting on a boat for a week and doing nothing, I think. Maybe we could take Maybe. fear and greed on the water. <laughs> God, that would make for an interesting afternoon report, wouldn't it? After after a day by the swim-up bar. It would. <laughs> anyway, yesterday, Health Minister Greg Hunt said the decision to allow cruising again was based on medical advice and the National Cabinet had agreed to not extending the current ban, which was first introduced two years ago. Pre-pandemic, around 600,000 passengers took a cruise from Australia each year, then came covid and the outbreak on the Ruby Princess, of course, which docked in Sydney and 2,650 passengers disembarked. An inquiry ultimately found that the ship was linked to at least 900 infections and 28 deaths. Anyway, the ban's now been lifted, which is great news for that industry. Sean, I have some very good news for you. Mm. And I know this is something that's probably right up your alley. Qantas is reinstating first class on its A380 flights between Sydney and LA in late March. What a relief. I'm assuming you're a frequent flyer in first class. Look, I have been on first class once in my life. I was upgraded two slots. So I ended up in first class. I felt pretty flash. I went and sat there and it was you know, fantastic service. As I was walking off, I was talking to one of the other fellow first class passengers and someone came running up and put their arm around this person I was talking to and said, can I have a selfie? And the guy said, yeah, sure. And they took a selfie. And I said, clearly you're famous and I don't know who you are. And he said, yeah, with the cast of Suits, it's a TV show. Really? And of course, I had never seen the TV show. And we just continued walking. Delta Goodrum was also on the flight and she waved as she went past us and we waved at her and 
there you go. That's my experience of first class uh, Qantas flights. That is fantastic. Gosh, <laughs> you, you have met some interesting people, even if you don't know that you're meeting them. How hard is it going from first class back to economy? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I have never been anywhere near it ever since. Oh, well, now you can because Qantas is reinstating it. Good news. Phew. Apparently, Qantas has been upgrading some business class passengers into first class, but only actually providing business class catering and pajamas. Ugh. Now, I got to say, when you're used to economy, and I'm not talking premium economy, I'm talking economy, economy, business class pajamas and catering is a long way in front. Yeah, can you imagine though flying first class and only getting business class pajamas? Like, ugh, I have to Outrageous. wear what the peasants wear, do I? <laughs> Peasants. <laughs> well, apparently the perk is about to end. Now, you can fly first class. There's 14 seats in the A380 first class cabin. Normally it costs you about $14,000 one way between Sydney, Melbourne to LA. Qantas has discounted that fare to 12380 Michael, jump online, pick one up. All right, not quite cheap enough for me yet. Bureau of Statistics figures show that house prices jumped 23.7% last year, which is the strongest annual growth on record. That is pretty impressive. Sure is. We kind of knew this, but this is the Bureau of Statistics numbers, so it's like the official figures. Hobart led the way last year with prices up nearly 30%, followed by Canberra and Brisbane. Sydney was next with growth of 27%, while Melbourne's pace was 20%. Now, the total value of Australia's nearly 11 million homes rose to $9.9 trillion by the end of 2021. That's about three times the size of the superannuation industry. That is amazing. Far and away the biggest asset class owned by Australians. And just a quick one, Sean, the Insurance Council of Australia said it's received more than 135,000 claims now from the floods in New South Wales and Queensland. Yes, and the total cost is more than $2 billion. The claims are now piling in. Apparently there was a 12% jump in claims from New South Wales over the weekend alone. Now, Sean, I mentioned at the top of the show that you'd fired, I say you had fired a few people up yesterday because I'm putting all the blame onto you, over the comments that we made about politicians and particularly about the Prime Minister and about the opposition leader and their respective appearances on 60 Minutes. We received uh, a few pieces of feedback, some via uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, but this one came via an email through fearandgreed.com.au. It's from Paddy. He's a big fan of the podcast, but he says, I was surprised to hear the guys fall into the pub politics trap this morning. Everyone knows that a liberal male politician in a pub is a misogynist, but a Labor male politician in a pub is just a good bloke having a beer, or at least that's what we're constantly being told. Sean, I don't know what to make of this. Well, I mean, I, I think it's great that Paddy's got this view. A liberal male politician in a pub, it's like Tony Abbott, Rudy Hill, RSL. He wasn't a liberal male politician being a misogynist, was he? No, that was, and again, this goes back to the point that you made yesterday about the fact that it seems easier when you are the opposition leader to go into anywhere, whether it's a pub, whether it's yeah. a club, or whether it's anywhere, just walk down the street and meet people. It looks a lot more natural when you're the opposition leader. And it was the same for Tony Abbott before he won the election that made him prime minister. When he was the opposition leader, he went into, I'm pretty sure, Rudy Hill RSL, sat down, had a steak, everyone went up and shook his hand. And it's just, it's the different dynamics between being the prime minister and being the opposition leader. And really, 60 Minutes just kind of highlighted that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point that Paddy is making on this. It's how we treat the opposition leader differently to the prime minister. We do it with men and women. We do it with, you know, across race and across religions and all sorts of things. I think that we probably need to do better and not fall into that trap again. That's my final take on that one. All right, fantastic. And keep the input coming. 
All right, Sean, moving on to overseas news. Now, there had been talk in recent days about Russia asking China for help with the war in Ukraine, but China made it pretty clear yesterday where it stands. Well, it wants to avoid being impacted by US sanctions over the conflict. It was one of Beijing's most explicit statements yet on American penalties that are contributing to the market sell-off. Foreign Minister Wang Yi said China is not a party to the crisis, nor does it want the sanctions to affect China. It suggests that Beijing will tread very, very carefully when it comes to aiding Moscow. And Sean, travel into Britain will return to normal for the first time in two years. Yes, British ministers have agreed to scrap all remaining COVID rules. Testing requirements will be removed from Friday as part of the UK government's push to live with COVID. The British travel industry, not surprisingly, is delighted. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview. And today, Sean, you're speaking with Daniel Fogo, who's the CEO of Plenty with an I. Plenty with an I. Yes, it was a great chat with Daniel all about a leading non-bank lending for personal loans and some commercial loans from solar panels to homes. It was just a really good take on the lending market from a perspective that isn't one of the big banks. Well worth a listen. Yeah, it sure is. It's up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Wednesday, the 16th of March, 2022. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, or you can head to fearandgreed.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.